Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. excited uh, to be here this weekend and to be able to talk about the importance of thankfulness. Um, This topic, um, I believe, is truly important. And like Pastor John said, I didn't really grow up in the church. And so finding God a little bit later, um, I just value that so much. And I'm so grateful for so many things. So I know that we talk about this every year. Uh, But I think it's important to remember that the topic of thankfulness is never irrelevant at any time or in any situation. Thankfulness is always applicable. It is always God's will. And it's always the right way to live. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 NLT says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but tonight I belong to Christ Jesus, and so I know that thankfulness is his will for me. And biblical thankfulness requires being conscious of what we've received from God, the benefits and the blessings that he's given us. It's expressing gratitude and thanks. Biblical thanksgiving expresses gratitude and thankfulness through an acknowledgement and celebration, both privately and publicly, of God's goodness. I don't know about you again, but I'm here today, and God has been pretty good to me. So I'm here this weekend to celebrate Thanksgiving. Hebrews 12:18 NLT says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. So what is the importance of thankfulness? The importance of thankfulness is that it keeps us grounded in our true identity and purpose as people who belong to Christ. It's also recognition that Everything good that we have, everything good that has happened, has happened because of God and his work in our life. Our ultimate true reality is one where God is real and has purchased for us eternal life. And in this reality, thankfulness is one of the biggest tools in our arsenal to stay on track with God's will for us and keeps us from drifting away uh, from his purposes for us. Choosing to be thankful consistently requires the help of the Holy Spirit. Every complaint, every grumble causes us to drift away from that alignment. And that's natural to some degree because that's our flesh at war with the spirit of God that lives in us. A thankful heart, a heart that is aligned with God's purposes and will, is a heart that comes primarily through our choices. And when we choose to be thankful, we choose to be obedient. And thankfulness and obedience go hand in hand. And when they go hand in hand... God is real and present in a more tangible way. And I'm not talking about things like, oh, I'm so grateful this happened or that happened or I got this or I got that. Because as soon as those things are gone or taken away, we tend to grumble and complain uh, because we think it's something that we've earned or deserved. Like we're the most important person in the world. But what I'm talking about tonight is true unrelenting gratitude expressed through our words and our behaviors because of what God has done for us and continues to do for us. Not only does God give us life each day, but he also loves us deeply 
and is actively involved in our lives. And not only does he love us and sustain us, but he gives us resources and tools like gratitude so that we can see and feel his activity in our lives each day. And not only do we get to see and feel God's activity in our life, but we can trust and know that his activity in our life is shaking off the shakable until what's left of us is unshakable and eternally valuable. So the so what of the importance of thankfulness is that if you want to see and feel like God is an active part of your life and actually feel like you are accomplishing things for the kingdom of God, you need to start practicing thankfulness because practicing thankfulness is practicing obedience. And when we practice obedience, we are part of building and establishing God's kingdom on earth. Now, some of you may know this. I talk about this a lot. But Ethan makes me coffee every single morning. Every day around 7 a.m., sometimes 7.30, the sweet, sweet aroma of coffee is wafting through our apartment. And since, some of you might also know this, that I'm hardly human before I've had a cup of coffee, it's actually really nice and really great that I get to wake up to it or have it ready for me when I'm getting ready for the day. What some of you may not know is that Ethan absolutely hates it when I make coffee for myself, especially when he knows that he could have done it for me. So sometimes, when he's just a little bit too slow in the morning, I'll get up and I'll just start making it myself. But let me tell you that there is nothing that gets Ethan out of bed faster than when I try to make my own cup of coffee. He could be dead asleep to the world, and he would still know, he would still hear me just even take the pot off the little burner, and he would just shoot right out of bed. Just yesterday, literally just yesterday, he was sound asleep, and it was 8 in the morning, we had the morning off, and I didn't want to wait for coffee, so I got up, and I started the process, and he literally shot out of bed as soon as he heard me, and he just said, no, 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 I'll do it. And he literally ripped the coffee pot out of my hands. And honestly, like, the intensity of his conviction that he must be the one to make my coffee is a little weird. He says that he just loves making me coffee, but I'm like, there's nothing loving about the way you just ripped that out of my hands. <laughs> I was just standing there, I was like, do you want to like talk about what just happened? You know, <laughs> put the coffee pot down and you know, we can work through this. <laughs> I know I'm the one with the caffeine addiction, but it's weird how he needs to make that. Anyway, regardless of how intense his desire is to make my coffee every day, I am still a very blessed woman to have a husband who deeply believes that it's part of his job in loving me to make my coffee. It's one of the ways that he expresses his love for me. If you're familiar with the five love languages, I'm an acts of service lady through and through. It's like nothing else really even compares. And even though he doesn't have to make my coffee in order for me to know that he loves me, he does it anyway because he knows it makes me feel loved and valued. Of course, I'm grateful for that. But there are times, you know, these really rare times when I'm, you know, a monster before coffee, that I don't express my gratitude to him, or I'll say something weird about how it tastes, and he'll hand it to me, and I'll just sit there in grumpy silence. Um, and when I do that, I'm actually expressing my ingratitude, which to Ethan ultimately feels like a rejection of his love and of his service. Or sometimes I'll, you know, accept it like the monster and caffeine addict like I am. I mention how weird or gross it tastes that morning. And honestly, there may be days I just don't want to talk in the morning or the coffee may actually taste a little weird, but that's not the point. The point is that my ingratitude 
to what Ethan has done for me actually has the power to hurt and reject someone who is deeply devoted to loving me. And that just makes me feel kind of gross. And I have to remember that even in the wee hours, like 7 a.m. of the morning, (laughs) that thankfulness and obedience to God go hand in hand. And when I choose obedience and thankfulness, I not only keep myself aligned with God's will, but I love my husband the way he deserves to be loved. It doesn't make sense, some of you might relate to this, but it doesn't make sense that I'd be more grateful to the Tim Hortons drive through lady for handing me a coffee because it's her job than I would to the husband who adores me and actually loves to make my coffee. It doesn't make sense that I would be grumpy over something like that. So on the one hand, I'm being a little facetious about coffee, but on the other hand, I think it's a type of situation a lot of us can relate to when it comes to Thanksgiving. It's, a, and it's an example of a daily occurrence or annoyance where our choices can either be directly part of God's will or directly outside of his will. Our choices can either be something shakable that God needs to shake off of us, or they can be unshakable because they reflect and glorify God. Our actions can either be true to our identity as those who belong to Christ, or they can be rooted in our flesh, which is always at war with what God wants for us. So I want you to think about day-to-day behaviors that affect your gratitude and thankfulness. Maybe you immediately think of something your spouse does, or something your siblings do, or your parents, or your colleagues And I don't want you to think about the big things. So maybe the first thing that comes to mind when you think of thankfulness is something big. So let's say, for example, you're driving and somebody hits you at a red light when it's really icy outside and wrecks your back bumper. And you immediately get upset thinking about how long it's going to take to replace your bumper, how you're going to have to pay your deductible, how it's so close to Christmas time and how it just really sucks and you can't believe some idiot ran into you. And you go to get out of the car, and the person who ran into you is so sorry and so contrite and is willing to give you everything you need to make it right. If you're a reasonable person, you're probably feeling guilty at that point, and you've probably repented. But you still might walk away from that saying, well, that sucks, but it could be worse. At least they're really great, and you give yourself a pat on the back for repenting and doing something, you know, okay. But that's not the type of thankfulness I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how you respond to big life situations. The type of thankfulness I'm talking about is our daily decision making that affects whether or not we're grateful and express that gratitude properly. It's those kind of big life incidents that are not always the best indicator of where we're at spiritually with thanksgiving because being thankful is being obedient. And just because you're obedient and thankful in a big life situation doesn't mean it's an accurate marker for where you're at with God every day. So it's more of the day-to-day irritations that give it away. Say you've had a really long day at work and you come home and your kids have left their jackets all over the entryway just for you to pick up. And instead of saying, Lord, thank you for my clothes and the children who wear them, You say maybe something to them that causes some tension. Or maybe you just really want to sit down and watch some TV, but you notice as you're sitting down, your husband's socks under the couch in the most random location, and you feel irritated because you just know that in order for those socks to get to that random location, they were probably like smelling them and got startled and threw them there. 
or maybe they were like pretending to bowl, or maybe it's just Ethan who does that. <laughs> or maybe you've had a long day at work and you come home and your wife starts to talk about all the things you haven't done. And instead of thinking, thank you, Lord, for my wife and her desire to make our house a home, you say, can you just stop nagging me? Or maybe there's a pile of dishes in the sink that you ask somebody to do and they're not done. And instead of thinking, thank you, Lord, that these, di that these dishes represent the full bellies of my family, and you think, how on earth did I raise such ungrateful kids? Now let me say this too. Thankfulness doesn't mean that you ignore the dirty dishes or the disobedience of your children or your spouse who leaves their socks everywhere but the laundry basket, but rather thankfulness changes our perspective in dealing with those things. Instead of dealing with them in the flesh and our first reaction and therefore in sin, we deal with them in a way that glorifies God and loves our family the best way possible. Ungratefulness is the pitfall of life circumstances and thankfulness is the framework that we build a holy life on that's pleasing to God. And there are so many more examples that I could use and so many different situations that this applies to. But it's in these day-to-day -day things that our spirituality and our connectedness with God really shows itself. And when we choose to respond with thankfulness and obedience, it changes everything. A gentle word, you know, like quiet anger, thankfulness and obedience as a mind, um, as a worldview, just has the potential to change everything in your life. It changes our family's lives and how they respond to you, and it also allows us to change the world because we're operating in a God-given green zone. When you're not operating out of thankfulness and gratitude to what God has done and given you, it's just in opposition all the time to what he wants. So if you want, you probably should, turn with me to 2 Kings 5, or just look at it on the screen. It's not all going to fit on the screen, um, but just follow along if you want. We're going to take a look at a few characters in 2 Kings 5, whose actions kind of either directly or indirectly show their thankfulness or their ingratitude. Some of you might know this story. It's the story of Naaman and Elisha and Gehazi. I'm not going to read every verse, but we're just going to talk about a few of the characters here, so just read along as I talk about it. So first, we're introduced to Naaman, and Naaman is the commander of the Aramean army, and he's a favorite of the king because God has given him victories over Israel. And if your first question here is why on earth would God give victories to Israel's enemies, the quick answer, which I'll talk about a little bit later, is Israel's ingratitude. So Naaman is rich and powerful, but he's afflicted with a contagious skin disease. Your Bibles will probably say leprosy. It wasn't, it's likely not leprosy, but something comparable, but it doesn't really matter. He has a contagious skin disease, but despite his condition, he's still favored in Aram, and God still grants Naaman victories over Israel. And during one of these victories, a young Israelite girl is captured and given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Despite her being exiled to a foreign land, she tells her mistress that she wishes that Naaman would go see the prophet in Samaria in Israel so that he could be healed of his leprosy. And apparently, Naaman just must be at his wit's end because he actually takes what this lowly slave girl exiled from her own land, he takes what she says very seriously and actually goes to the king of Aram with it. 
And so the king of Aram diplomatically sends Naaman to the king of Israel with a letter of introduction and lavish gifts so that he could pay the prophet for his healing. And so Naaman visits the king of Israel, King Joram at the time, and King Joram is so despondent and so hopeless and so ready to assume that the king of Aram wanted to fight and invade, which probably would have been normal, but the prophet Elisha steps in and tells the king of Israel to send Naaman to him. So Naaman heads over to Elisha's place, but instead of being greeted by Elisha, he's been greeted and instructed by one of Elisha's servants to wash himself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman becomes super agitated about this because due to his station and power in Aram, he thought for sure that he was important enough to be directly greeted by the prophet, you know, especially because he bought, brought a briefcase full of cash. Kind of thought that would entitle him to some special treatment, but that doesn't fly in God's kingdom. And so like I said, when we think we've earned something or have the means to get something and it turns out differently than we expect, we tend to start grumbling and complaining. Lucky for Naaman, he has some good wise counsel from his officers who tell him that Naaman would have done a lot more uh, for healing than simply washing himself in the Jordan River. And so Naaman goes and washes himself in the Jordan and is completely healed of his skin disease. So Naaman goes back to find Elisha, who now appears to him directly, and says that Naaman now knows there is no God in, in all the world except for Israel. And why, why do you think he says that? I think it's because he's tried to pay his way to healing in Aram, and nothing's ever worked. But there, in the land of Israel, where the God of the impossible is in charge, no amount of currency applies. Even after being healed, Naaman tries to urge Elisha to take the gift, but Elisha refuses. Naaman finally relents and asks to take soil from Israel back with him to Aram so that he can build an altar there. And then he also asks for pardon when he has to go to the temple of Rimmon and Aaron. Rimmon is the thunderer in the land of Aram. And Elisha just says, go in peace, literally in Hebrew. It says, like, go in shalom, go in the way that things are meant to be. Gehazi, Elisha's servant, on the other hand, is not as thrilled to see the rich person walk away, especially when he was offering gifts. The prophets, if you read the book of Kings, both of them, you'll see the sons of prophets in there. They don't make money, and they don't have great accommodations, and they're generally not well respected um, by many of the kings. So instead of appreciating the miracle of a foreign foreigner experiencing the power of God, Gehazi wants his money, and he wants new clothes. Gehazi chases after Naaman and lies to him about Elisha's wishes, and Naaman is more than happy to comply because he thinks he's giving in to a need that the prophets have. But Gehazi only manages to hide the money and the clothing before Elisha catches him in the lie. Gehazi tells Elisha that he hasn't been anywhere, but of course Elisha drops the bomb and says, don't you realize I was there in spirit? Like, seriously, how many times... Have you done something wrong? Like, that'd be freaky. And for what Gehazi had done, he and his descendants were afflicted with Naaman's skin disease. Of course, if you're familiar with Kings, Gehazi appears later on in 2 Kings, and it's not clear whether he still has the disease later on, but as far as 2 Kings 5 goes, he was punished with it. And so there are so many amazing things about this story. First, 
God is willing to give uh, victory to Aram because of Israel's ingratitude. Their idolatry was rooted in pride and ingratitude and their unwillingness to obey God's law, the Torah, the law of Moses. Obedience and thankfulness go hand in hand. And when they go hand in hand, God's people reap the blessings of that. But when they don't and they start worshiping other things and worshiping other gods, they're on the path to exile. And there are many examples in the Bible of God using foreign nations to bring his wayward people back to himself, but nothing really ever seems to stick. And so Israel's on the path to exile in this part of the story, but God is not rendered inactive because of that. Israel was meant to bless the nations, and when they don't do that, God is still at work trying to accomplish that. And we see this in the fact that despite being captured and exiled, the young Israelite girl directs her foreign master to Yahweh. She speaks life through her obedience. I don't know if you have any biblical heroes, but this young girl is mine. And through his obedience, Naaman comes to know that there is no other God in all the world except in Israel. And I don't know if you're familiar with like ancient Near Eastern um, traditions, but like that's crazy. Naaman knows he comes from a place with many gods, but he knows that there is no other God in all the world except in Israel. His miracle, not paid for by donating to the temple, was only accomplished through obedience to the prophetic word. And it's not because Naaman was in Israel, but it was because he was willing to humble himself and obey God by going to the Jordan. And we see the ingratitude of Gehazi, who was blinded by his circumstances and wanted money and wanted new clothes um, more than he wanted to recognize Yahweh the way Naaman did as the only God in all the world. And his ingratitude and disobedience results in his affliction of Naaman's skin disease, which shows that Naaman and the privileged prophet Gehazi switch their roles who is actually supposed to be favored and chosen by God, ends up with an affliction that pr pretty much casts him out. And Naaman, on the other hand, a foreigner, comes in and receives the blessing. I don't know about you, but there's some new covenant foreshadowing there that gets me pretty pumped up. Because <laughs> we're the foreigners, you know? That's right. So God's blessings for the sake of the world come through faith. But when we're disobedient and when we're ungrateful, we drift away from God's purposes. And I think we can all see the problem here in 2 Kings 5. The lowliest of the low directs her foreign master to healing, to God, the only God in all the world. And Gehazi shows disdain for God's power and tries to manipulate Elisha into some new swag. While Gehazi had day-to-day -day access, daily behaviors, daily choices, daily access to the prophetic power of God, it still resulted in this ingratitude, whereas Naaman, who knew nothing of Yahweh, comes in and experiences healing and leaves only worshiping Yahweh. That's pretty big. So maybe you're here today, and you're not even sure that God is real, or you're just here for the pie, that's fine. Or you're maybe in high school and you feel a little suffocated in your home around Thanksgiving. Maybe you're an empty nester and you're not spending Thanksgiving with all your family. 
Or maybe you're newlyweds and you don't know who to spend Thanksgiving with. Or maybe you're single and your family's in a different province and you're alone. In any situation, you still have something to be thankful for. Remember that thankfulness and gratitude to God is the framework on which we should live our lives because it's God's will for us. There's no question there about what God's will is for you day to day. It's to be grateful and to live in gratitude to what he's done for you and continually doing for you. And when we're operating in that framework, it's a lot easier for people to see God at work in us and in the church. It allows opportunity for people who, like Naaman, have probably tried all they can try and are at their wit's end. Our obedience and our thankfulness is a beacon to those who don't know God, and that's the point, right? It's not just for ourselves. It's not just so that we can live a happier and more agreeable life. It's so that we provide a beacon for people who are hopeless or a beacon for people like Naaman who don't have any other options or have tried everything they can try and still don't find the healing that they're looking for. So when you're at home or you're at work or you're stuck in traffic and something tempts you to complain or grumble, take a moment to ask yourself one of these three questions. Am I contemplating my problem more than I'm contemplating God? Usually just thinking about God is enough to make us want to do what's right, unless the traffic is really, really bad. Or ask yourself, is what I'm about to say or how I'm about to respond in line with God's will? So, so what that my coffee doesn't have enough of that international French vanilla creamer in the morning? Is how I'm going to respond to my husband honoring to God and to him, or is it just for the sake of grumbling? And thirdly, am I about to honor God with what I say, or am I going to hurt someone by my ingratitude? And there will always be moments where we're a little like Gehazi, where our privilege with God kind of blinds us, or we're like the servant girl where we might feel pretty low in our station in the world, and we just still love God and thank God despite that. Or we're like Naaman, and we kind of just don't know the goodness of God. But it's important to remember that we cannot buy or earn or deserve God's goodness and blessings in our life. He just gives them to us because he's good and he's up to something for the sake of the world that is eternal and unshakable. And when we have our own Gehazi moments or our Nama moments, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. We can always start again like the young slave girl who speaks life in her circumstances. No wrong decision, no ungrateful attitude has to be the last word. The Holy Spirit is here to help us from drifting away from God's purposes, to bring us back into alignment with him. And that option is there daily. There's nothing you can do to really just cut that off. And the more he brings us back into alignment with God's will, the more we have to be thankful for. I just want you to dream with me for a minute what the world would be like if all Christians were willing to operate in a framework of thankfulness every day. If we were willing to submit ourselves to the guidance of the Holy Spirit to operate in God's will. Because God's will for us isn't bad. It's unshakable and eternally valuable. It's what brings other people to God. It's something consistent that is just carrying forward day by day. And it's worthwhile because people can see how different it is from when people operate in the flesh to when people operate in the Holy Spirit and God's will, right? They only recognize that as something else because it's something they don't have. 
Thankfulness is not just something, like I said, to make our individual lives more happy or more agreeable or just better day to day. It's a tool that God gives us to demonstrate his sufficiency in our lives so that others might recognize that there is no other God in all the world except for Yahweh. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your goodness in saving each one of us and for bringing us here and for allowing us to be part of your church. God, I pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to just day by day live in a framework of thankfulness and gratitude. And Lord, would you remind us what you do for us each day, whether it's just giving us life each day, um, just any kind of blessings, Lord, would you just remind us um, of how good you are all the time. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.